0: We are in part two of our series, The Angry God, and we've been looking at the idea of we have this perception oftentimes that the God of the Old Testament is angry, that we're trying to placate him, and so we ask ourselves, is, are we serving an angry God that we need to please? Are we trying to keep God happy? Are we trying to earn his favor because he's a little ticked off with us because we're sinners? And so in part one last week, we looked at kind of the big, the big one, where Adam and Eve, I mean, they're in Eden, it's perfect, it's beautiful, everybody's happy, everything is good, and then they rebel in a big way. And we looked at God responding to this rebellion, not with just wrath, he doesn't burn the place down and torch them, instead we saw him clothe them and promise redemption through the promise of a coming Messiah that would crush the head of the serpent while he was injured, All right, so we saw him promising deliverance as a result, and so that's a very different picture. So, so often, if you're like me, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a good church. So when I talk about my church, I'm not bad mouthing the church I grew up in because it was a good church. As I explained to someone the other day, obviously it did okay because here I am. You know, (laughs) you know, I, I didn't. I turned out all right, reasonably speaking. I am wearing a Hawaiian shirt, but you know, within reason, things have gone okay. But I remember, grew up in a little church, very much similar to the our, what we call the old sanctuary now, upstairs, the church that we used to, the building part we used to be in. The only difference was we had the wooden pews, but for those of you who remember our wooden pews that we had upstairs, they were kind of comfortable, not comfortable comfortable, not like what you're sitting in now with lumbar support. but they were, you know, they, they had a bit of a slope to them, they weren't bad, but the, the, the pews that the, the church I grew up in, they were like right angles, it was boom, boom, And so it was, you know, you, you're real spiritual there because you just couldn't get comfortable. You couldn't, there was no, no reclining function. All, it was just really, it was the old school thing. And of course it was, we walked in and it was the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. The sanctuary, which we still call that the old sanctuary. I have refused to call this the sanctuary. Some of you might slip and do it. If you do it in front of me, I'll say that's the auditorium. Thank you. But we have this idea because you're coming into the presence of God. And so on Sunday morning we came into the presence of God and it was very almost temple like and I remember cuz I was a kid now when a kid moves cuz kids like they don't want to stay stationary kids move when a kid moves it's called running okay you never say look at those children strolling all right kids have stop and go so we were kids in the church and we would go and oh you don't go in the sanctuary We would get yelled at. Do not run. You do not run. And it was never, don't run because you'll bump into people. Which was also probably a danger. But it was, you do not run in the sanctuary. And you had to dress up. Why? Because we are coming into the presence of God. And God wants our best. And so there was this constant just... It wasn't even explicitly taught. It was just part of, this was the experience that we get used to of we were coming into the presence of God. And it builds a picture of, okay, so because these Sunday school teachers are mad at me. These are the teachers who teach me about Jesus. And they're yelling at me, don't run! Sorry. I'll try to stroll. Because we're in the presence of God. And so you get this picture of, Does God demand a certain kind of presence, a certain kind of approach, where we are trying to keep Him happy? So we're going to look at this today with the idea of the perfect sacrifice and a worthy offering. Before we get to the passage that TJ read, we're going to end up there, but before we get there, we need to kind of go back into the Old Testament and look at the teaching that all this is based on. And so turn first to Leviticus chapter 3. And so you're right back, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and we're going to, we're going to kind of jump through, if you're using the Bible app, most of these are in the Bible app, I didn't put every last one in, Um, but most of these are in there, and if you have the printed notes, uh, you'll see them there, you can get a head start. But the first one is in Genesis 3 chapter, uh, Genesis 3 verse 6, talking about an offering, in Genesis uh, Leviticus 3 verse 6 it says but if his offering for a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord is from the flock he shall offer it male or female without defect without defect it needs to be without defect some of your translations will say without blemish turn over to Leviticus chapter 22 we'll grab another one of these Leviticus chapter 22 verse 19 leviticus twenty-two nineteen. 19 similarly for you to be accepted it must be a male without defect from the cattle the sheep or the goats so for you to be accepted the sacrifice you're going to give must be without defect all right so this idea that without blemish it must be perfect it must be without defect or it's not accepted so this is the idea we have of God wants only the best. Now, the next one is just for fun. All right, no extra charge. No extra charge will appear on your bill for this next one. But how many of you have heard of the Passover? How many of you aren't paying attention, so you didn't know you could raise your hand? All right. No. Ah, yeah, 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 me! Okay, gotcha. <coughs> the Passover, not the Passover celebration that they used, to, they had later. The actual Passover in Egypt, Exodus chapter 12, I was studying for this and I got to this one and my mind exploded. All right. Exodus 12 verse 5. This is the commands for the actual Passover. This is not the celebration of Passover that the Jews then observed every year as part of a feast. This is the in Egypt angel of death Passover. Here's the instructions verse 5. Your lamb that they're going to sacrifice put on the doorpost. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. We're good. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. What? I reread that five times. I'm like, huh? Because I'm going to back up for a minute. It's a sheep. It's a sheep. The lamb, it's a sheep. It says you can take the lamb from the sheep or the goats. Now, I'm not drawing any conclusions from that. I have no theological point. Like I said, there's no charge. But I've always pictured a, that. And I'm reading through the sacrifices says you can take the, take the lamb from the sheep or the goats. I'm like, how do you take a lamb from the goats? Apparently, a yearling goat worked too. That just messed up my picture. Again, this has nothing to do with my point. We're just going to wander here and we're going to wander right back out. Don't go home. What did you learn from the sermon today? That the Passover lamb was sometimes a baby goat. I was just like, what? I thought I had a misprint. It was weird. Anyway, moving on. Back to this idea of perfection. Oops, we've got to review everything we've done so far. All right, Exodus 12.5. So now, let's look at Genesis 22, because the next part is the idea of sacrifice and why. So we've looked at it. it need, the sacrifice needed to be without blemish. That's what we've gotten so far, without fault. In Exodus 22, Abraham and... Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have gotten old. They're beyond childbearing years. They were told they were going to have a kid, but they were past being able to have a kid, and then they had a kid. His name's Isaac. He's the child of promise. How exciting. We finally have a boy. And then one day God says, I want you to take Isaac up on the mountain, and you're going to sacrifice him, which probably didn't seem weird to Abraham because the culture of the time, the other religions, they did child sacrifice. So he brings Isaac up, ready to do the sacrifice, but God is doing something bigger. God is not... Uh, setting up child sacrifice, he is actually showing Abraham that he's a different type of God than the pagan gods Abraham would have been more familiar with. And in Genesis 22 verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad, And do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided." So here's this moment where a substitute, and this is a ram, a substitute is put in place of Isaac, substitution. So what we've seen is the two parts of what the sacrifice was. There was the act of sacrifice, which is we see with Isaac. It's to take the place of, to pay for, to take the place of, to pay for. And then the standard of the sacrifice is is perfection without blemish, without anything wrong with them, a perfection? Now we need to jump into the New Testament and look at John the Baptist. So as Jesus comes into the picture, John the Baptist is kind of the big name. Jesus is not a big name; nobody really knows who Jesus is yet. But John the Baptist is a celebrity. A lot of people following John the Baptist. They've been out to hear him, and uh, followed his Instagram page and things like that. They've been very invested in. John the Baptist. And in John chapter 1 first in verse 29 John the next day saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then if you look down at verse 36 a little bit later, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, verse 36 and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said Behold the Lamb of God. So now we've talked about that you need a lamb without blemish. It takes the place. It pays the sacrifice. Now Jesus is called the lamb. And finally, the last one until later, First Peter, so way in the back, near, heading near Revelation, First Peter 1, 18 and 19, takes this idea of Jesus as the lamb, and it completes this connection 1 Peter 1, 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So John identifies Jesus as the lamb and First Peter mentions that he is the lamb, spotless and unblemished. All right, we've dug a lot here. So, what do we see so far? Jesus is the Lamb. 1 Peter, the Lamb unblemished. Does this point to God demanding our best? Presented to Him, especially at church. So, this is the verses it's based on. that God demands a a perfect sacrifice. God demands the best. The, The sacrificial system was based on you bring the best to God. So, is that what God is demanding of us? that we present our best to him especially at church. Now we turn where TJ read for us in Hebrews chapter 10 where the writer of Hebrews is going to put all this together for us. So Hebrews chapter 10. And the first thing he says verse 1 through 4 for the law since it has only since it has only a shadow of the things to come and not the very form of things can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so we get to Hebrews, and it talks about this sacrifice, and it says the sacrifice is useless for the point of sins. Huh? Because many times we have this idea that until Jesus came, the way you dealt with your sin was through the sacrifice, because it was ordered. Now it was ordered. Were they supposed to offer sacrifices? Yes. But it says, does it deal with sins? It says, no, it's impossible. They're useless. But there's some other hints in the text that tell us, it says, this this is a shadow of later things. Now, I have a shadow. I stand right here. There's my shadow. You can't really see it, but it's right here on the stage. That's my shadow. Now, what is a shadow? It looks like me a little bit. I mean, the angle's weird, so it's shorter than I am, which is not very tall. But my shadow resembles me, but it is not me. It doesn't have any substance. It's You could say it's a reflection of me, but it's actually the the lack of reflection. But it's a picture of me, but it's not me. I can't do anything with my shadow. My shadow cannot accomplish anything. I'm not going to knock things over with my shadow. Why? It has no substance. And he says, and that's the law. It's a shadow. A shadow of things that can't come later. It's not the real thing. And then a couple of very startling statements in verse 6 and verse 8. Verse 6, in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Verse 8, after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor you, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. He says he takes no pleasure in them and they're not desired. You say, well, wait a minute, didn't he ask for them? He did Well, why would God ask for, demand a sacrifice if he didn't desire it and if he doesn't find it pleasing? Well, verse 10, by this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. First John 1, 7 takes that thought, and this is the other one we jumped to. Again, way in the back. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So Hebrews 10 said that the sacrifice, it was a shadow of things to come. What was to come? Jesus. And that we are sanctified through the offering of the perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ whose blood now cleanses us from all sin. So what do we draw from this? Let's apply this and start working through because that's a lot of work. There's a lot there. We had to look at a lot of different verses to get this whole picture, and we could have gone into great depth with all of them, but just for time, we won't. The sacrificial system that where many of us, especially if we grew up, grew up in church, are very aware of, the old teachings on the need for a perfect sacrifice and an offering were not about how we please god they 're not about how we please God. The whole point, as we saw, all those rules and all that i mean it says a ton of regulations. I even thought about giving you a handout about all the different sacrifices I, I spent a lot of time digging into it i 'm like, we will get lost. That's a fun, it'll be a fun teaching to do sometime. Not probably not for a sermon, it'd be an afternoon study. You had a lot of different sacrifices. They had guilt offerings and peace offerings and, and lots of different offerings for a lot of different things. And there's all these standards, and we saw just a hint of them of the lamb without blemish, the the animal without blemish, without fault, and this idea of it needed to be the the, the first and the perfect. And we begin to take that and say, so that's what God wants, so that's what I need to do. And the whole point of that was not to teach you what you needed to do. It's not about how we please God. It is about why we need Jesus. How only Jesus can satisfy God. The whole point of all that was to say, listen, this ain't going to work. Here's the demand and you can't meet it. And when we think that that was like God trying plan A and it didn't work, so then Jesus was plan B, then we, we have a twisted view of what's happening in Scripture, which is what the Pharisees had. They're like, well, you know, we've got to follow this stuff. And Jesus said, you don't understand. It's talking about me. Everything before that, and that's what he says in Hebrews, that was a shadow to point towards not what you need to do, but what he needed to do. Because the only perfect and acceptable sacrifice is Jesus. He is the unblemished lamb. And so all those standards were not, so here's what you got to do. It was, here's what you need. And when Jesus comes along, says, and I'm it. I am the only acceptable sacrifice. And so God established the sacrificial system to reveal how only he could provide salvation only he could please himself the bible uses sometimes we use in english a big word it's called propitiation which means the satisfaction of god's anger and the bible says that jesus is the propitiation the satisfaction that god needed this was the promise we saw last week in genesis 3 where jesus said god said i will satisfy myself i will send the seed who will crush the serpent and was pictured in his clothing of Adam and Eve. I will provide because only God can please God. We cannot please him. And yet what we have oftentimes done is we have turned this into a demand to please God through human effort. We've turned this into a standard that we have to somehow apply. So we kind of recreate the temple, probably unintentionally, But that's why you will never hear me call this a sanctuary. Because God does not dwell here anymore than He dwells anywhere else. The only way that God dwells anywhere is He dwells in us. We are the temple of the living God. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That He dwells in you? So now we're all here. So there's a whole lot of Him here with us. But when you leave, He's not here going, Bye! Y'all come back now, you hear? I mean, no! No! Because we are not entering into his presence. And entering into his presence isn't where he goes in now. You better measure up. You better only bring your best. But we have turned this into human effort. And we have turned this into a demand to please God through human effort. Because we have this idea of what if my offering isn't good enough? Because God demands the best. And so then, that's, that's one of the things. So, you know, God's mad at me if I run in church. Why? Because I'm in the presence of God and I'm not being good enough. My, My beautiful, wonderful ladies who loved Jesus and taught me Jesus, they did not intend to teach me that, but they did. Because I learned that if I didn't act right in church, I would earn disfavor. And yet the only favor we earn is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, there's another thing that goes on. Because it's not just that. It's not just that sometimes this has been presented to us as a demand. We often reject the offer of being declared righteous, being declared pleasing, in favor of trying to become pleasing ourselves. Now, the word righteous is one of those words that we've thrown around in church so much, we've oftentimes lost the meaning of it. We know what means good. Like when you think righteousness and you say, well, what does righteousness mean? You say, well, it means being really good, and you put good in caps and bold. Good. Good like not regular good but good religious good righteous but all righteous means it's just it's kind of archaic usage for our day and day it means to be right to get the a on the paper to get the 100% to get the the yes the smiley face you're you're good you're pleasing and boy we like to be pleasing don't y'all i mean that's human nature we we want to feel good we want to know that we did good did i do good Are you proud of me? I mean, that's a constant need of mine. Especially for my wife. Did you like it? Boy, heaven help if I clean anything. She can clean all day. I clean one thing. I'm like, honey, look, I cleaned it. (laughs) (laughs) I want her to be what? I want her to be pleased with me. Because that's part of us. And so what do we do? We come to God and we say, God, did I do good? And God's like, um about that <laughs> no <laughs> and I never expected you to there is none that is righteous no not one all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one of us to our own way but I will declare you pleasing I will call you righteous behold what manner the F- father what manner of love the father has for us that we would be called the children of God that he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might be called righteous. And so we walk into his presence and he calls us pleasing. He doesn't ask us to become pleasing because he says you can't. And I've spent hundreds of years of history to help you know that, to communicate to you who I am and who you are and how I'm going to save you because you cannot save yourself. And oftentimes we say, but, but God, let me try. And so we reject the gift because we're like, but I think I can do pretty well. God, I'm going to try to be good for you. And God's like, let me give it to you. So I've raised children. I'm not done yet. They're still raising. If you've ever raised children or taken care of a child, you don't have to raise them yourself. If you borrowed one, got loaned one, found one, cabbage patch, whatever, and when they just get old enough that they can start to clothe themselves but can't, but they think they can, here, let me help you. No, I can do it. No, you can't. I got it. No, you don't. I, I'll, I'll be done in a minute. No, we're here for an hour, dude. Never gonna... Those buttons are no, no. Honey, just let me. I can do it. No, you can't. Why? I can do it myself. I can. Would that you could, but you can't. So please, we gotta get in the car, and you need to wear this. It's hard because, I can, and that's us. Because God's like, here, let me buy. I got it, God. I, I got. Just give me, just give me a second. God's like, no, you don't got it, and you're not. You're not gonna get it. And that is the biggest reason why we resist, because we want to become pleasing. But here's the outcome: one of two things will tend to happen. You'll either delude yourself into thinking you made it, at least close enough. Well, I, you know, I, I'm pretty good. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing a pretty good job. You no, know, probably not. That was Paul. Most of the Pharisees. Paul He says, "Man, back when I was a Pharisee, I was awesome. I was really good." He goes, as far as Pharisee goes, A+. plus. I nailed it all. I was awesome. He goes, and then something happened, and I found out that I wasn't. And so the first thing that will happen is if you think you can do it yourself, you'll think you did, at least close enough. And there's a lot of people, sometimes right in the church, who are like, well, you know, I mean, I know I need Jesus' help, but I'm, I'm not that bad myself. And she's like, yeah, you are. That's why one of the phrases I try to stay away from, what sometimes we say, is, well, you know, Jesus had to come because we couldn't be good enough on our own. And that sounds so right. You know, we couldn't be good enough. But not being good enough sounds like you did make it some way. Like, oh, you know, I hit a good 50%, 80%, maybe, you know, and then Jesus tapped me off. And she's like, no, actually, this wasn't a case of you not being good enough. You're not good at all. <laughs> You weren't sort of good, and I helped you out. I got you the rest of the way. You contributed nothing. Paul said, I have no righteousness of my own. I have no righteousness of mine. He goes, my righteousness is filthy rags. It's not righteous. What I call righteousness doesn't count. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do not as much. No, he said, without me, you can do nothing. And so then that leads to sometimes what happens on the other side is sometimes you do try and you fail. But you keep trying and eventually you give up because it's hopeless. You're burned out. There's been that sin that you know you shouldn't do but you keep doing it. That sin issue that you've struggled with and you just can't seem to find full victory in it. And you're like, well, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to beat this. I got to stop being that way. I got to stop. And you just try and you're trying to be good enough and you never quite make it. And after a while, you're just like, I'm so tired. I'm so sick of it. I'll never do it. And you quit and you walk away. And I know people who have done this. I walked right away. Why would you walk away? It's too hard. God is too unreasonable. He wants too much. Well, why do you perceive that? Because you thought that it was your job to please him. You thought that you needed to somehow earn his pleasure. You thought that if you walked into church and didn't run, he would like you more. Gold star. Oh, you came to church. Good. Oh, you didn't wear a Hawaiian shirt. Awesome. Look what good you're doing. Don't know why that came to mind. And you got tired because you realize you can't be good enough. And this is what happens when we forget or we don't understand the point of the sacrifice. Does God demand your best? Your best isn't good enough. He does not demand your best. He wishes to declare you righteous. The best you have is Jesus. And his call is to let him do it. God says you can't do this all. Jesus did. Jesus can. Jesus was. Jesus did. Hebrews 10, 10. By this will, we have been sanctified. That means made perfect. Means brought all the way through. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. It is only through. And so we're going to end the way we started. We're going to sing that song again come to the altar. When we hear altar, it invokes our concept of the temple. But when they came to the altar, it was so often the idea of, if I offer this, will I earn God's favor? And so I want to sing the song again because what do the words say? Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As you bring any offering, it is not to earn his favor. It is to receive the favor offered to you by the work of Jesus, not by your own human effort. And if you're here today and you've been trying to be good or you thought you were reasonably good, you thought that maybe God was reasonably pleased with you, he's not, not on the basis of anything you've done. But through his powerful love, he wishes to declare you pleasing. He wishes to look at you and say, I find you fully pleasing. But God, I'm not fully pleasing. He says, I know, but I will declare you pleasing and find you pleasing and take great pleasure in you because I will make it so through the blood of Jesus, not through your effort. We call that salvation. And it is not a result of any work you can do. It is a gift of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And if you've been trying and you're worn out and you're like, I am so bad at this, God says, oh, yeah, you are. That's why I died for you. Father, we just thank you so much for this powerful expression of love. We are not worthy. We are not good enough. And we're not going to be good enough. You love us as we are not as we ought to be because we're never going to be in our own power and our own ability. We're never going to be what we ought to be. And many of us are full of our regrets and mistakes. We're broken or we're trying so hard to be good and we think that if we show up and do church or we go through the right motions or we do the right things somehow we'll measure up and earn your favor. And Lord, our favor has been earned by you. That you have taken care of the requirements. You have dealt with our need. And you shed your blood and died for us because you loved us enough to provide the pleasing that we needed. So Lord, I just pray for anyone who is here who has not allowed themselves to be declared pleasing. Have not surrendered their efforts to somehow be good enough on their own either because they feel a sense of obligation or a sense of pride and have been laboring under the incredibly heavy burden of what they have perceived as your expectations. May they be freed today to experience the sacrificial, powerful love of the eternal creator God and Father who came, became one of us, but the perfect spotless sacrifice surrendered his life and died on a cross rising again and defeating all that shame so that we might be declared your children, declared pleasing. And Lord, may that change our lives in revolutionary ways. And may we carry that out as we go out now, we go back to our homes and we go to our marriages or our workplaces or just our communities. May we be the people who are full of free of the rat race, free of the good enough competitions. And Lord, as our world is full of competing, trying to come out on top, trying to win whatever thing they're trying to win to be better than everyone else, may we stand apart as those who have been declared righteous, not... By our own work but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ may that be who we are free we thank you and praise you and dismiss us now in Jesus name Amen